G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. In Series 10, Twista has a singular focus. We're identifying and sharing the story of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups that when they go from zero to one really do change the world. And not just the startups, but the founders, the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest sparks working hard to change the world. They come from fields as diverse as agriculture, housing, energy, and construction. These startups at scale truly will change the world. Who's next on our list? Find out in this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by User Testing. With User Testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash twista for a free trial. User Testing, real human insight. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps customers build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Our Crowd. Our Crowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals and invest in them too. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com Australia. Before we introduce our eighth world-changing startup, let's review the four metrics against which we measure all of them. Metric one, an idea that actually makes the world better. Metric two, it's within the realm of scientific and technical achievability. Metric three, it is economically rational. That means there's a business model. And metric four, there is manageable execution risk. Now, we have been asking guests on the new specials in Series 10 of Twista about their selections for world-changing startups. And Anne-Marie Elias, she suggested one that caught me by surprise. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized she was bang on right, because world-changing is about way more than just tech startups. World-changing touches everything, including, perhaps specifically including, the physical world, the built world, and how that world gets built, what building the world does for us and to us. To help us through that and to understand why the built environment offers an almost unlimited opportunity for world-changing, it is my great pleasure to welcome Angus Hudson to Twista. Welcome, Angus. Thank you, Mark. So, Angus, you are the chairman of Slurry Tub, and we'll come to that in a moment. But can you first talk about the problem that you set yourself to solve? Yeah. Uh, So, my background is that I left school and I became a carpenter. And then I completed my building certificate around the corner at Sydney Tech. And I started running, you know, a small building company. And I've done that for the majority of my lifetime. So about 40 years, I've run a building company and I've seen, you know, 
things happen over that period of time that I've thought that was standard practice. And it wasn't till I was actually renovating my own home in 2015 that I realised the management of wet trade slurry, in other words, cement washout water, is something that really was left lacking in, uh, in any kind of device or any system that actually took care of the problem. Uh, so I made it my challenge to start thinking about the problem and, uh, it, you know, and, and I was in a, in a time of my life where I could give it some time and I wasn't under the enormous pressure of sending kids through school and, uh, and you know, other, other financial commitments. So I had a little bit of space and a little bit of time mm. to dedicate towards mm. this problem. And this is, that's a common thing for entrepreneurs. Neither you or I are spring chickens, right? But the, that's one of the common things for an older entrepreneur is they've finally got the time where they're not currently trying to like pay the mortgage, send the kids to school, all that stuff, that they get to some of the ideas. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. What is this wet slurry? This is probably not a term that our listeners will have been familiar with. Okay, so cement, which is used, it's, it's one of the la- you know, greatest products used in the building industry hardens, as we all know. And what happens is any tool or piece of equipment that's used with cement has to be washed off that day. Right. And if it's not washed off that day, the cement will harden on the tool. (laughs) So it's that simple. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, So this is that constant need. And it's funny because when I was walking over to do this interview with you, I saw a cement pour. Yeah. Right down the street from me, there were yeah. yeah right. So I see exactly what you're talking about. All the tools that are touching the cement need to be washed clean. So that creates now this residual slurry. Correct. And what yeah. happened to that? Well, look, it's it, my, my in my experience, and I'm a residential home builder. Right. It was never managed in a. There was no particular device or way of of disposing of it. So it would vary from site to site. So if you're building a new house and you've got the potential to dig a hole and dump it, that was standard practice. But a lot of my work was renovating or working in places where there wasn't the ability to dig a hole or make make space for this. Any older neighbourhood in Sydney is simply not going to have the space for you to be able to dig a hole. That's right. That's right. So... It became, you know, I became very aware, and as we do, you know, looking further and further into the pro- into the problem, and I started looking around the world and seeing what other countries were doing, and I found that the main way people were dealing with the problem was to ap- actually capture the slurry in something like a kid's swimming pool or a small reservoir, and leave that slurry and wait for it to evaporate. And now the problem with that, of course, is that it would take days and days for it to evaporate, but also the fact that it takes up valuable space on a building site and it's not something you can move around. So where space is precious, this idea of capturing it and waiting for, waiting for it to evaporate never actually happened because builders don't have that sort of space on building sites. So what's your solution then? Well, so our solution was to filter the water, filter the slurry, rather than capturing it and holding it. So it's a very simple principle. It's the same as a coffee filter. Mm -hmm. We just allow the slurry to be passed through a filter. We capture all the cement and the, 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 the toxins and the whatever's in the slurry, and we allow the clear water to run. So if this is like a 
coffee filter, does it take then some period of time? You fill it up and you wait a cup, like you do for your cup of coffee in the morning if you're using a filter coffee. It does. And and that was an interesting calculation because the the paper had to be specifically have big enough pores for the, for the water to pass through, but not to clog up too quickly. So we worked with the University of New South Wales to work through the possible fabrics or or membranes that we could use for the filter. And we ended up making it a biodegradable paper that has about a 25 micron uh, tolerance for, for, um, for slurry, which meant that cement particles particularly weren't large enough to pass through. So it captured the cement, which was the, my main concern was to capture the cement, as well as the sand and blue metal and what other components might be in the slurry. But the most important thing to me was that the water left the tub clear because, you know, it's obviously going to go somewhere and I didn't want cloudy, grey water running out of this thing. So that was my initial challenge. All right, so you went and you worked with researchers to come up with something that is analogous to a coffee filter, right? Probably actually slightly more finer grain than a coffee filter, it sounds like. And then how did you, did you have to then go and fabricate this? In other words, as a test example, where did you go and how did you do that? Look, I was very fortunate. I worked with uh, two individuals that actually went to UTS, um, uh, Carl and Sam. And, and I dedicated Friday morning to, for two years to meet up with those guys and work through this problem. So it was in my diary every Friday that I would cut, drive in, meet Carl and Sam, and we would discuss this problem and move through all the possible solutions. So it was, it was a- So you broke this down methodically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was something that I dedicated time to yeah. methodically. But, I mean, yes, you dedicated time to, but it sounds like your, your approach to solving the problem was methodical. You know, you sort of did one step at a time and then moved on to the next step, which is obviously good practice, but not always what you'll see with an inventor who will kind of get, oh, I'll try this, I'll try this, I'll try this, without methodology behind it. Yeah, look, they taught me the methodology. I was initially playing with junk I'd pick up on council cleanups and trying to work out what actually I was trying to solve here. And when I got involved with Carl and Sam, it did become a lot more methodical. All right. So how has this now resolved into a product? Well, uh, various prototypes and iterations of the idea of what we were trying to make led us to realising that the wheelbarrow was probably the most common device used for handling cement slurry. And whether or not a cement mixer is used, that's usually washed up into a wheelbarrow. Tools are usually wash, washed in the wheelbarrow, trowels, etc. So I decided that to make the, the product work with the wheelbarrow would be a great, point of a great point to start the process. So we started the process using 50 litres of water, which is what a wheelbarrow typically holds, to give us some definition of size, and began the process. So people would come to fill the wheelbarrow up with water, wash their tools in the wheelbarrow to clean the concrete off of them. Yeah. And then pour that into... Into the slurry tub. So typically the wheelbarrow is used from the mixer. For a bricklayer, for instance, would have a cement mixer going. They'd empty the cement mixer into the wheelbarrow to transport the cement to where the bricklayers are working. Right. So it was, you know, pretty much a tool that's used with a bricklayer every day to transport the material. And then they 
obviously have to wash the wheelbarrow up because it's been used to transport the the the, uh, the slurry or the the cement used as mortar. Um, and then from the the wheelbarrow led to this you know capacity question that is fairly uh, fairly ubiquitous in the in the world, and therefore we had a target of of actually treating 50 litres of water, making it something that I could see we could make fairly small. So it wasn't something that would take up a lot of space, which is also a huge problem storing and handling tools. Mm -hmm. So it was something that led to the size of the, of the contraption and you know, to what it was capable of doing. And we, we rationalised its size by saying that if people had a bigger requirement for more slurry, they simply bought another slurry tub. And we'll come to the marketing question when we come back. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, prototype, or marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people you want to reach most. The user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective, and it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast, in real time, at the speed business demands. Very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not, so you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result, you feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com slash twista. User testing, real human insight. Twister talking to Slurry Tub Chairman Angus Hudson. All right, so Angus, you have just sold us two Slurry Tubs, yeah. which brings us really naturally into this idea of marketing. So let's talk about what the market just in Australia is. How many active construction sites in Australia at any point in time would need a Slurry Tub? There must must be a large number. Yeah, look, it's a it's an interesting question. The um, the market for new builds within Australia is is huge. You know, a building has been 50,000 plus new starts every year. But the renovation market mm -hmm. is even greater. Mm -hmm. And that's renovations over five thousand over $5,000 in, in cost are, um, are typically um, renovations that may appear small, but may be more of a market to us. Because Anyone who's got an existing house and puts in a new bathroom or puts in a new kitchen or puts in a new laundry or starts doing renovations and additions is going to find that the, the contractors are using cement slurry and these contractors aren't going to know what to do with it because it is a market that, that you know, as I said earlier, there is really no other solution that's tenable. There's... 
the council are recommending to put six, most councils, sorry, are recommending to put six hay bales in a semicircle and wash your liquid uh, washout water in these six hay bales and allow the hay bales to act as a filter. Now, as we know, they're just not going to do the job and you can't buy hay bales. So right, <laughs> right. And are there, there are no regulations? Yeah, yeah, there are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, the EPA is very, very strict on this and you're not allowed to let anything other than rainwater go down the drain. So this regulation has been overlooked yeah. by me, by many councils. Because it's in the too hard basket, right? Because there is, it's in the too hard basket, really. Okay, so you now have the solution to the thing that is in the too hard basket. How do you get the message out to all of these smaller contractors doing these smaller jobs that you have the answer to their worries? Well, so far, the best tool for us has been using Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook and other social media platforms, which are giving us a very broad covering. And we're putting a lot of resources into that. We've got a, a great guy who's managing that. And uh, the other way is through our manager, um, who is a hardware guy through and through, has been in hardware all his life. He has great relationships with large hardware chains and suppliers. So this is something you might find on the shelf at Bunnings at some point then or something like that. Not at the moment, but potentially yeah. at Bunnings. It's it's a product that we initially thought would be a very good B2C product, yeah. whereas people would buy it directly online and we'd deliver it. The problem with that model is it's quite expensive to handle Correct. a large plastic tub and deliver it. Yeah. That model we still run, but more and more we're finding the bigger model, which is B2B, is by far and away the better way for us to go with this business. And the other thing you often hear, particularly startups on this show talking about, is that B2C is expensive because the messaging is expensive unless it sounds like you may have good word of mouth marketing then. We've got very good word of mouth marketing. We have a lot of trades that have bought the product and they're doing their own Instagram stories and they're sharing these stories. That's gold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So if you do that, then you have cut your B2C costs significantly, but you haven't cut the shipping costs, which are always going to be significant on something that is large and heavy. Yes. So, okay. So you're thinking about going into the shops. You know, that will cover Australia and Australia is a significant market. Have you taken a look, say, at New Zealand or one of the other nearby places for this? Yes. What, we're, what we've actually done is we've got a marketing partnership with an Australian company that covers Australia and New Zealand. And we've only been in this arrangement with them for a month. We only started in August. So we've got meetings coming up very in the very near future about how it's going. But they represent us to a, a huge chunk of the hardware industry in Australia. Mm -hmm. They also would take us to New Zealand because they, they have the same connections over there. Now, that model is, yeah, like Australia and New Zealand. What we've found is that a Canadian company had found us on Instagram and they ordered a container full of slurry tubs three or four months ago and they're just in the process of placing a second order to take to the Canadian market. So your export is happening organically. You didn't have to go and find them. It's that export has happened completely organically. We, they found us. It wasn't. It was just reactive to actually their order. So, yeah, we've had luck there. And in the UK, similarly, 
we have a container that's being distributed by another Australian company who makes brick saws and other equipment that saw the parallel with our business and their business and decided to take us over to the UK. So now you're in, well, at least three, possibly four countries, depending on when New Zealand gets off, and you didn't really have to do anything about that. So are you going to need to, to establish a formal international sales and marketing division at this point? Look, at this stage, it's little steps. Yeah. So we're going to see how the, the Canadian market goes, see how the UK market goes, respond to container orders that are placed. Yeah. We manufacture this product in Melbourne, in Victoria, so we've got to be very aware of the the cost it, it, you know, to send a container to, the, to Canada or the UK and the possibility of having a manufacturing facility outside Australia. Have you considered the United States then? I mean, since you're so close with Canada, is that some one of the things that's potentially sitting in your future? It's sitting in our future. We see the United States as being a very, very big market for this product. So we don't want to go there until we know we can service the market. So we're letting this, this natural process of the Canadian market absorbing what, what they need and seeing how that market goes before we take it to the US, which should be in the very near future. And building practices would be quite similar between the US and Canada as well. So, yeah. So it's a good way. I mean, that's, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's good to keep the training wheels on the bike in that sense. All right. What does the total addressable market look like across, let's say that in three or four years you have Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the United Kingdom, and America, the five eyes, as it turns out. Oh. How big is that total addressable market? Oh, it's, it's, it's really, it's a huge market, Mark. It's, it's something that, you know, you can look at um, the market penetration that you can achieve but if you start to achieve one, two, three, up to 5% of market penetration, there is an enormous market worldwide for this product. So we're very aware of that. You know, we've patented the product to, prov to pro you know, protect it, yeah. but we're very aware that, funnily enough, we're the first product to, to get on. It's a very simple product, but we're the first in the world to make this product. So have you been, uh, how, how shall I put it, have you been flattered by a competitor coming in with something that looks similar? No, no flattery at this stage. <laughs> but we're, 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 we're very aware that that may happen. And um, we're looking at, you know, the way we are protecting our product. I met with my IP lawyer on, on Saturday morning. He's a New Zealand lawyer. He's very smart. And he's, uh, he's gone to a lot of trouble to make sure that we're fairly well protected in that world. So that's another world that I don't have expertise in, but I believe the person I'm using is very, very good at what he does. And that comes to the question of execution risk, which we will come to when we come back. We're speaking with Angus Hudson. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. The fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. You build the great product and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back, just like Jason Calacanis. Jason has a very public obsession with amazing customer service, and he relies on Zendesk for his launch syndicate. 
Jason's limited partners use Zendesk to reach out to him about each of his deals. Zendesk also handles inbound inquiries from startups looking for investors. Zendesk helps Jason provide the kind of customer service he demands. Apply for the Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding, guidance, and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver the amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for Startups, visit Zendesk.com slash Twista. We're back with world-changing startup chairman Angus Hudson. All right, Angus. So there's Slurry Tub. And there's a sense of a plan for how to first conquer Australia and then to go global. All of this is happening against a construction industry that is right now being hammered globally by inflation. You can see this very spectacularly in Australia because the number of developers that are becoming insolvent because they can no longer meet their outgoings because their outgoings have increased so rapidly, that that's now happening at a rate of knots. So let's come to the execution risks here. Let's first off just start with slurry tub. What are the things that could slow or even destroy the business in the next couple of years? Is it a competitive threat? Is it failure to grow? Is it growing too fast? What are the things that you think about? Uh, That's an interesting question. I haven't considered it being a business that would be defeated. And that's really because we're in this environmental space that I consider is getting a lot more attention than it ever has. And the fact that these regulations that are in place, which are fairly low, are are being uh, looked at and being raised as we speak. So notices of motion are being put through councils to look at these regulations on how slurry is being handled, particularly at the moment where environment is is under threat and it's one of the most, well, it's the most important thing we have on earth. So I feel rather than threatened by the building industry being under pressure, that the big thing with this business is the fact that it's in this environmental space and to protect the environment and the waterways and any natural ecosystem surrounding a building site should not be put under pressure by someone not doing the right thing as a builder. So I'm, I'm very confident that this business will carry through the current pressures that builders are feeling due to the fact that they will be far more aware of the standard that they have to maintain when handling any product and not contaminating the immediate environment they're building in. Do you think that because it is now easier to comply with the regulation because of Slurry Tub, that we will see more enforcement of that regulation? I hope so, because it's enforcement that will make people think harder about it. If they get a fine, they're going to think, what did I do wrong? What is available? Have you ever heard of anyone getting a fine for this? Oh, yeah. I've actually got a fine for it. Oh, you have? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Many years ago, 15 or 20 years ago, I was doing a a project and I spilt cement on the street and I was hosing the cement down the drain. And it was a response of get rid of the cement 
The council turned up. I got a fine. I realised what bad practice I was doing by even hosing this man. It wasn't even in my brain. This was a long while ago that I was doing something so bad. But definitely it's something that I'm aware of and that most builders you speak to will feel the threat of getting a fine. The fines range from $750 for the first case to $1,500. And then if they're corporate fines and they're larger amounts, they're in the twenty dollars to $50,000 amounts and they're EPA suggested fines. All right. So you're talking about there is a regime of regulation and fines. Most builders would probably have run afoul of this at some point or another. And we're now talking about making it easy. Now, all of that, again, against that background around rising environmental awareness. And you think about, for instance, a place like either India or China, where they are rapidly building and they're using a lot of cement all of the time to build structures. Do you see the future for slurry tub in those emerging environments? What will that be like for them? Look, I think that's going to be a different story. I think that if compliance becomes... A, a big issue, I'm sure it will then become something that becomes more important. But at the moment, I think it's the more developed countries, Europe, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and, and the more developed uh, Asian countries like Japan and Korea, uh, countries that I would see the uptake being quicker than countries like India. But let's say 20 years from now, 25 years from now, would this be a fairly standard item to find on pretty much any small to medium-sized construction site? I think it will. I think it's going to be put up there with a first aid kit or a bathroom. It's where do you dispose of your liquid slurry? It's going to be a question people are going to ask straight away. Angus, Thank you very much for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you for having me, Mark. So there you have it. We know that construction pollutes. We know that we need to remediate as much as possible when we're building. But of course, too often that ends up in the too hard basket and doesn't happen. And things get released into the environment that are very hard to get rid of. Slurry Tub clearly has an idea that makes the world better. And given the methodical development process that Angus went through with his chaps from UNSW, it is something that they had determined is within the realm of scientific and technical achievability. You can think of it as a whizzy kind of coffee filter for cement. Third, we know that this is economically rational, that the thousands of small construction sites in Australia and in New Zealand, and in Canada, and in the UK, and eventually in the United States, will actually all benefit from Slurry Tub. That the market here is enormous, and it's a market that is desperately in need of a solution. And finally, is there execution risk? Well, Angus doesn't think so. We'll see. I mean, we do know that developers are under a lot of pressure right now, but he thinks that the benefits of doing things right for the environment far outweighs any execution risk. When you put all of that together with great big ticks, you can understand why Slurry Tub is our eighth world-changing startup. We'll be right back.
as rising interest rates, inflation, and global complexity throw stock markets into turmoil. Savvy investors are turning to alternative investments. Our crowd makes it easy for you to diversify your investments into a variety of expertly vetted, high-growth private companies across stages, geography, and industries like biotech, cybersecurity, and renewable energy. Investments like these used to be reserved for elite institutional investors. But our crowd has helped sophisticated investors from over 90 countries across the globe invest in growing tech companies. Every month, our crowd vets hundreds of companies, then brings you a select few identified for their outsized growth potential. Our crowd backs these investments. They commit their own capital and they leverage their relationships with multinational corporations and global investment leaders to help drive their portfolio companies' growth. Discover investment opportunities beyond the stock market. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community in the world at OurCrowd.com Australia. That's OurCrowd.com Australia. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. Big thanks to Twista sponsors User Testing, Zendesk, and Our Crowd. Thanks to Angus Hudson for coming on to our show. This show was written and produced by Mark Pesci and beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstartups.au. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, and all the links to all the stories. So check it out at thisweekinstartups.au. We're taking a break next week out of respect for the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, and we'll be back after that with the final of our 2022 news specials. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening. 